Morning, Hope. It's great, great to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to be there this morning. It's uh, Brenda and I are just really pleased to be here today. I bring greetings from Hope Bible Church in Oakville. Always got to remember that name change, right? Got to remember name change. And it's great to be here uh, with you in Ottawa. Blessed to be with Ray and Natalie again. And um, we're thankful for them, for our friendship over the years. Hope that continues to grow. And nice to meet Josh and Tamara. And I know that they, all four of them love you very much. And uh, I hope you love them as much as they love you. So we're just so grateful to be here uh, with you today. We're in a sermon series, right? The sermon series is called what? Discover Hope. Is it on the screen behind me? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Okay, it's called Discover Hope. You've examined the mission that God has called you on, the motive for the mission. You looked at fervent prayer, bold preaching, true worship. Last week, you looked at purposeful disciple-making from Ephesians chapter 4. This week, we're in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and we're examining the call that we believe comes from Christ himself to plant churches. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But before we do that, let's just bow for a word of prayer. We have just sung very, very powerful words, Father, about your Son, Jesus Christ. We know that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Father, we know that Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together, that he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Father, we know that we were once alienated and hostile in mind. We were doing evil deeds. And now he has reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Father, I just, we just rest in the gospel knowing that the gospel frees us. It frees us from our sin the penalty of our sin, from the power of sin dominating our lives. It frees us from all these things. All praise to Jesus Christ. And so, Father, today, even as we look at this passage of Scripture, we pray that we were reminded of the love of Jesus Christ for us, his, us, his amazing death, his burial, his resurrection, what it has caused in our lives individually, but what it also has done to us collectively as the body of Christ. And may we now place ourselves, our hearts, and our minds ready to receive your word. May we place ourselves underneath the authority of God's word, and may we believe it to be true. Please, Spirit, make that so. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lots of promises in God's Word, right? Lots of promises in God's Word, and I love 
many of the promises of God's word. You probably have your own favorites. I have my favorites like, I will never leave you or forsake you. I can't tell you how many times I have said that to myself, that promise of God over and over and over again. I will never leave you or forsake you. Or the words of Jesus that he gave to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. He says, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age, right? Which is like the end of the age. I'm with you right to the end of the age, even though he is not physically present on the earth. He has left his Holy Spirit with us. He is present with us even to the end of the age. I love the promises of Scripture. And here in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, there is one massive promise that Jesus gives to us. Okay, if you look at just, you got the Bible, you got your Bibles open? Oh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, I'm clue, clue phone, clue phone. Just hold it really up. I miss so many things. All right, if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up and the ushers will get you one right now. All right, so um, if you got your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, I want you to go right down to verse 18. I want you to look at verse 18, and I want you to see the promise, the promise of this passage, because this is our big idea. This is the thing that Jesus wants us to understand in this passage. And it's this in verse 18. When he's speaking to Peter, he says this, I will build my church. All right, I will build my church. This is the promise. This is the proclamation that Jesus Christ himself gives. He says, I, I will, right? That means it's, it's not me that's doing it. It's not you that's doing it. It's nobody else that's doing it. It's actually Jesus that's doing this. I, I will, he says. You can take this to the bank, right? This is guaranteed. This is going to happen. I promise you this is going to happen. This is what he's saying. Jesus is saying this. I will, I will build. That's a construction word. It's used throughout scripture to talk about building houses and building towers. And even Jesus even uses it when he talks about the temple. He says, I will build the temple in, in three days. He talks about, it's a construction word. So it's Jesus that's doing it. You're guaranteed it's going to happen because Jesus is doing it. He's going to build it. He's going to construct it, Right? He says, I'm going to do that, and oh, by the way, it's mine, right? Not yours, not ours, not someone else's, but it's Jesus. What, what is he going to build? He's going to build my church, he says. The word there is ecclesia, or it means assembly. I'm going to build my assembly. He's not talking about a church building, but he's talking about actually constructing his people that are called the church. He's going to assemble his people, just like, I don't know, just like Lego. You know, all the pieces are kind of scattered all over the place, and Jesus is somehow going to bring all these pieces, all his people together in this assembly that he calls his ecclesia, his church. Those who, by the grace of God, through faith, follow Jesus all around the world. Jesus is going to build this. I'm going to do it, Jesus says. You're guaranteed it's going to happen. I'm going to construct it. It's mine. It's my assembly. 
You know, like I, we have, uh, I live in Burlington, and so uh, in Burlington, Ontario, like Ottawa, there's construction going on everywhere. There's still, there's still, it's hard to believe, but there's still construction going on everywhere. And right down the street from us, there's a new set of townhouses being built. And usually once a week, I walk by, on one of my walks, I, not this week, but most weeks, I walk by these townhouses, and uh, you know, they were, they're, they were designed by somebody, and they're being constructed by somebody. And for weeks at a time, nothing was happening. And every time I would walk by, I would go, what in the world is going on? There's nothing happening. All they did is they just bulldozed a lot. They, pounded, they put some pipes in. They pounded down the ground, and then they left. Right? It seemed like for ages and ages and ages. And then finally, they showed up again one week, and they started building this thing. And I had all these questions, like, what are you doing? Every time I walked by, I would say, what are you doing? Right? Why are you making these things so small? I've never seen a townhouse so small as that townhouse. And then, and then I, so I have questions about the architect, the person who designed it. And then I have questions about the people who are actually doing the construction. Right? You won't believe the cheap material that they were putting into these townhouses and how quickly they're slapping them up and what they weren't putting on the outside of these townhouses before they were putting the actual external face on it. I just couldn't believe it. I have all these questions. What in the world are you doing? And yet when I read this promise, when Jesus says, I will build my church, I never have that question. I never have that question because I know this is true. Nothing can stop the building of the church because it's Jesus who's building the church. And this is why we plant churches. Right? We plant churches. It's why Hope Oakville is actually partnering with you, Hope Ottawa. I don't know if you know that, but Hope Oakville is in partnership with you, Hope Ottawa, because we believe that Jesus said, I will build my church. And that's a call that the church shares in. Now that's the promise. Now the picture of the church today is quite different than the promise. When you think of the promise, I'm going to build my church, and you think, wow, that would mean that we would, when we look at every single church and the church, we would think, wow, that's quite amazing. But the picture we see of the church is, is quite a bit different. It's quite a bit different. The church in if the church in 2019 was a documentary film, it might have get a mixed review. Right? There are lots of churches, lots of local churches that are, that are actually stopping. They're actually closing their doors. I saw a statistic the other day that said that by the year 2030, over 9,000 churches in Canada will close their doors. That's a great question. That means in the next 10 years, in the next 10 years, some are saying that, that 9,000, I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of churches, 9,000 churches. Add to that the scandal that you see amongst, in some churches, amongst church leadership, the challenges of moral failure, abuse of power. We see people leaving the church, like are millennials staying in the church or are they leaving the church, right? I think they're in this church, they're staying. In other churches, they're leaving, right? So, so, like, what's going on? And then you've got churches that are just flat-out sidetracked, right? The watering down of the message of the gospel, a lack of the authority of the God's word 
in, in churches. Then you see church, we have stories of churches that are being attacked. A couple of weeks ago, there was a, there was a story uh, on Twitter uh, going out talking about there's a Chinese church that was being bulldozed to the ground by the Chinese government. Okay, do you remember that? That's kind of like, that's like on the one hand, that's kind of the picture that we see when we think about the church in 2019. So that's one on one hand, and yet on the other hand, we hear stories about how the church, the evangelical church around the world is growing faster than any kind of religious movement. Even though in North America it doesn't feel like that, we note that in the South, in the global South, the evangelical church is growing at such a quick rate. In fact, it's growing faster than the population rate itself. Jesus promises, no matter what the picture looks like, listen, you've got to lock in on this, Jesus promises, no matter what it might look like all around you, Jesus promises, I will build my church. And we believe that he wants us to be used of him to see that happen here and around the world. So how does Jesus build his church? This passage tells us how he does it. Okay, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. I want you to notice this first, that Jesus builds his church through faith. Through faith. Look at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I love that question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And their answer, they're just kind of, they're like, off the top of their heads, kind of taking the poll of what they've been hearing people saying about Jesus, and they're saying, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, like Herod did, right? That's one of, one of, the, you know, one of the rulers in the Gospels. He, he believed that. Or Elijah, right? It was fairly well known from Old Testament scriptures. They could develop that they felt a lot of people felt that Elijah would appear before the Messiah showed up, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In other words, they were thinking good things about Jesus that did not capture who Jesus was. These are good things, but they weren't actually capturing who Jesus was. So let me ask you this question. Who do people think Jesus is today? If you're going to take a quick straw poll in your mind right now of your friends, some that don't know Christ, just society at large, who do people think Jesus is today? Well, if truth be told, there's a lot of people who do not have a clue who Jesus is. They've never heard the name of Jesus before. Some even in our own country who would not have a clue of who Jesus is. There's, so there's a section of our society that's going, I don't know, who's Jesus? I have no idea who you're talking about when you talk about Jesus. That's hard for some of us who have been around the church our whole lives to imagine, but it's true. It's true. There are people who have never, ever heard the name of Jesus. Or if they have ever heard the name of Jesus, they've heard his name proclaimed when things are not going well in people's lives. 
Or others might think, well, he's a good man, or he's a good example to follow, someone to learn from. Others might even say he was one of the religious prophets. Some of those things are good things, but do not capture the essence of who Jesus is. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not what other people say, but who do you say that Jesus is? Verse 15. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? He moves from the question. He talks now. He dresses it to the entire group of the disciples. If I may, if I may, if I may, let's pretend right now that we are the entire group of the disciples. And Jesus is asking this question. Who do you say that I am? And your answer to that question is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. This is how important this question is. How you, what you believe about how you answer that question is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. And this is what I love about Peter's response in verse 16. Do you see what he says in verse 16? Simon Peter replies... You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says. Not just another prophetic voice in the long line of the prophets. You're not just a religious prophet. You're not just like Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You're not even just like Elijah. You're certainly not John the Baptist. You're not just a prophet in the line of all these prophetic voices. No, no, no. You are the Christ. That means he was, he's saying, he's making the statement, you are the long-awaited Messiah. The one that they were waiting for. The one they were placing their hope in, their deliverer, the anointed one. The one that the Old Testament, the one that the prophets talked about that was going to come. He's not just in the line of the prophetic voices. He was actually the fulfillment of what the prophets were anticipating. Jesus, the Messiah, you are the Messiah. You are the one that the prophets point to. You are the Son of. In other words, you're in relationship with the Father. Or Psalm 2 even says, this is a a kind of a king kind of kingship title. You are the you are the Messiah, the anointed one. You are the king. You are, you're in relationship with God the Father. You are in relationship with the living God. You are the son of the living God. In contrast to all the dead idols that we serve. You are the son of the living God. The one who acts and intervenes. The one who took them through the Red Sea. The one who took them through the wilderness. The one who led them by fire and cloud. The one who put them into the promised land, the one who brought them into exile and brought them back from exile, the the living one, not the dead one, but the living one. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So I ask you the question again, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is he? He's not just a good model to follow. He's, he is that, but he's not just 
a good model to follow. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is how Jesus builds his church. He builds his church through this kind of confession, this confession through faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. This is how Jesus builds his church. He builds his church through this kind of faith, through people who place their faith in who Jesus is, that he was the long-awaited Messiah who came to deliver his people from their sins. He is the son of the living God. He is God himself. He's in relationship with the Father. He is God himself. He's part, he is the living God. He is the king. He is all of that. He is all of that. That is, you have to believe that. What you believe about that is the difference between eternal life and eternal death. I love, I love what Jesus says, and he says in response to Peter's confession in verse 16. He says in verse 17, And Jesus answered Peter, and he said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for the flesh, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, only God, only God could reveal this truth to Peter. Right? There, his parents didn't tell him that. He didn't have any other teacher that was telling him that Jesus was this. It certainly wasn't his own intellect. He wasn't able to piece it all together in his mind to make sense of this, to figure out that all of a sudden he just figured it out on his own, that this is who Jesus was. No, are you kidding me? I mean, this is, we're talking about Peter, right? This is Peter, I, I, certainly Jewish. He had all the right background when he would have been known all the stories from the Old Testament. I understand that, but we're talking about, we're talking about Peter, there's zero chance that he pieced this together on his own. His parents weren't saying to him, hey, you know, that guy here falling around, he's the Messiah, right? Nobody else is saying that about Jesus. In fact, the religious leaders of the day, they're saying anything but that about Jesus. So he's not kind of piecing together. Where, does it, where did it come from? He says, my Father in heaven told you this. My Father in heaven, he's the one that's revealed this to you. And that's true even today. If in your response to the question, who is Jesus, you respond like Peter responded, and you say, well, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and you placed your faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. If you've done that, I want you to tell you this. You didn't figure that out on your own. right? Your parents... Your parents, even though they may have instructed you in the way of the Lord, there's no way that they could, they could have brought you to the point where you not only believed that true intellectually, but you actually believed that in your heart. That's the work of God himself. Only God can do that. God is the one who opens the key into our hearts and allows us to believe that. Only God can give you the ability to see truly who Jesus is and you place your faith in who Jesus is. I love how, how, I don't have this on the screen, but I'm just going to read these verses anyways. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
verses 12 and 14, where the Apostle Paul talks about the difference between the natural man and the spiritual man, or the natural person and the spiritual person. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, that is Holy Spirit, who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, let me read that again. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. We have, we have received not the spirit, small s, of the world, but the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So when God gives us these these freely things, these grace gifts, this understanding from him, where does it come from? How do we understand this to be true? Not just in our head, but in our hearts. How do we know that that's true? It's the Holy Spirit. He says this in verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are not spiritually discerned. Why is it that some people get it and others don't? Is it because, is it an intellectual thing? Rarely. Almost always, it's because it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's the spirit that does this. And, and, and this, that's exactly what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying to Peter, listen, I'm so blessed that you believe that I just want you to celebrate the fact that the Father's the one that's revealed this truth to you. And if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have placed your faith in the Son of the living God, the Messiah, you should be celebrating the fact that the Father, the Father has revealed this to you. He's revealed it through His Spirit. He has revealed this to you. What an awesome, awesome, awesome truth. And it's on, it's on the heels of all this that we come to verse 18 when Jesus says this to Peter. He makes this bold declaration. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus makes this bold declaration. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is a play on words between Peter, which means what? Rock and rock, right? Two rocks. I mean, there, I, I, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to tell you how many books, how many volumes are written on just these two things, like, there's a big R rock, and there's a little rock, and Peter's the rock, and then there's another rock, and all this kind of stuff that, that's going on between these two kinds of rocks. There's so much written on these things. Listen, all you need to know is it's just a play on words. It's a play on words between Peter the rock and rock. It's getting our attention. What does this tell us? What does this tell us about Peter? It tells us that Peter is the first one who makes this confession and declaration, but he won't be the last. On this confession of faith that Peter makes and that we continue to make, Jesus promises to build his church. Now, the, some of you perhaps uh, uh, have been involved with or know people who are involved in the Catholic Church. And in this ver in chapter here, 16, verse 18, there's a whole doctrine of papal authority and papal line that's developed in here. And 
Of course, we're a Protestant church, and we don't believe that. And the reason why we don't believe that is that it's not found in the context at all or any other passage of Scripture that promotes that Peter is the first pope, and then there's other popes that follow him. I will say this. Peter is the first one that says it. I mean, we, like, that's a pretty bold thing that he's doing here. He's making a, a statement of faith. But he, he's the first line of many, 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 many other people that are going to do that. Not just popes, but, but Christians, followers of Christ, who are believing and saying the same thing. Peter is making this profession, and all of us disciples follow in making the same profession. There's no other way to become part of the church that Jesus is building but through faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. He is the Christ the Son of the living God, he builds his church through this faith. He builds his church through this faith. How does Jesus build his church? Through faith in who Jesus is. This church is being built by Jesus Christ himself when at the core of everything that we do we believe this to be true he is the Christ the son of the living God nothing less nothing more he is the Christ the son of the living God he builds his church on faith on faith so that's the first thing here, note the second thing of how Jesus builds his church. Here, the second part of chapter 16, verse 18. He builds his church through endurance. He says, I tell you the truth, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Nothing can stop the church. That's what this phrase is telling you. Nothing can stop the church. Because the church is the assembly of people that Jesus is building, it cannot be stopped. Now, when you are playing hockey, right? I'm in Ottawa, so I got to kind of do the Ottawa Senators thing, I guess. Is that? No? Oh, okay, great. The Senators are the best. No, they're not the best. The Habs are the best. I don't know. Whatever. Wherever, I don't know. Whatever. But when you're playing hockey, it's important to know whether you're on offense or defense. Right? It's super important. It's kind of confusing if three people think they're on offense and the other team doesn't think that they're on offense. This phrase, prevail against, has, has um, been interpreted both as an offensive thing and also a defensive thing. Okay, so you see the phrase? Do you see it here in verse 18? You're looking at your Bibles? Okay, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? So the idea of, when you read some commentaries, they take the idea of prevailing against to be the idea of that, oh, the church is on offense. And some, uh, when you read it, they think, well, the church is on defense. Right? In other words, if it's offensive, that the church is pushing against the gates of hell with the gospel itself. Or if it's on defense, the evil one is coming after the church, but the church may bend but it will never break with the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So it's kind of those two different things. You say, well, well, which one is it? Well, you know, in reality, in reality, it's kind of both. You know, it's kind of both. 
If, if you hang around a church long enough, you'll realize that, that with the gospel, the gospel is, is, also, is something that we share with other people, that it, it breaks, I mean, when you tell people who Jesus is, it does some dramatic things in people's lives. Some of you are, share, are, are living proof of that story yourself. You are walking one way, and then someone introduced you to Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden your life has become transformed. But likewise, it's also a defensive thing because sometimes we feel like we're under attack from the evil one. And like I look pictures like in Revelation chapter 12 and other passages of Scripture that talk about how Satan does not love, love people who have given their lives to Jesus Christ. Right? Ephesians chapter 6, we're in a spiritual warfare against the evil one. Right? So there's a, there's, it's both an offensive and a defensive. And the truth be told, we don't always feel like we're prevailing. We just don't always feel like we're prevailing. Matt Woodley in his commentary said, you know, when you hang out with the people in the church, you begin to realize that we all have flaws. Yeah, I only have two hands, so I'm not, I got a long list here. We have flaws. Sometimes we can be really shallow, right? We're full of self-interest. Sometimes we can get be apathetic. Sometimes we're really slow to change. I'm putting my hand up because I am all I have been all those things, and sometimes I am all of those things. Hear me, hear me, hear me. This is important. Jesus does not tire in building his church. He never gets tired of building his church. Never, ever tires of building. That's his promise. I will build my church. Are we flawed? Yep. Or sometimes are we shallow? Yep. Sometimes, are we full of self-interest sometimes? Yes. Hey, even more than that, when, you st- when we start to get involved with one another, we actually discover things about each other that actually shock us and surprise us at times. Actually, you might even be surprised if we were to hang out for a long time what you might find out about me. Maybe not. I'm guessing maybe. Worst thing for me is that, that when I start hanging out with other Christians, I begin and I interact with them. We begin to rub each other, sometimes the wrong way, sometimes the right way, but sometimes the wrong way. We rub ourselves the wrong way. I get, begin to learn things about myself that I'm not too excited about. Jesus still doesn't get tired about building his church. Jesus' church prevails. It prevails. It prevails. You hear the word? Hear the word? Hear the word? Hear the word? It prevails. Jesus' church prevails. We don't give up. Jesus is building his church. That's what makes all the difference. It's not, it's, not, it's not me. It's not me and all my flaws. It's not you and all your flaws. It's not all the, all the things that are kind of weird and strange and beautiful and all those things kind of mixed together. That's, that's, not, that's not it. It's Jesus. Jesus builds his church. He doesn't get tired. But so we don't give up. We don't give up. We keep going. 
he builds his church through endurance. Through endurance. And then note this in verse 19. In verse 19. He builds his church through his message. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He builds his church through the declaration of faith. He builds his church through endurance. He builds his church through his message. This, isn't this a, just feel odd the way that Jesus says that in verse 19. He's talking to his disciples. He says to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's, that sounds so strange to me. But this is what I know. Whoever has the keys has the opportunity to let somebody in or keep somebody out. Right? Well, Brenda and I, we'll, you know, we'll go out somewhere and we'll, we'll lock the door behind us. And when we come home, Brenda will say, do you have your keys? And, and I'll, I'll say, I'll check my pockets. And I'll go, yep, I got my keys. And what she's saying is, I didn't bring my keys. And she's saying, I want to get into the house. And so I know at that moment that I have the power <laughs> to open the door and let her in, or to say, oh, no, you know, I, I think I left my keys. <laughs> That's what I know. I, all, I don't know that the person who has the keys, they have, the, they have the, the power, they have the ability to let people in and to keep people out. They're like a gatekeeper. Do you notice what the keys are for? Did you see what the keys are for? The keys are of the what? The kingdom of heaven. The keys are of the, for the, to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, please, read this again. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you, I will give you, Peter and the disciples, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm giving that to you. The keys. That means I got the power to, to open the door to go in and to, to go out. So, so you ask yourself, well, what are, the, what are the keys to the kingdom? Well, the keys to the kingdom are the good news. They're the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the Declaration of Jesus in the Great Commission tells them it's all of that wrapped up together. It's the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news, which if rejected, means you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you accept it, you are brought into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. On the screen, on the screen, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Jesus' message in a nutshell while he was on earth. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. Jesus is here. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. So repent. Repent. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works 
so that no one, so that no one may boast, he says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's grace through faith. The grace of God through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Romans 10, 10. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing the church at Rome, says it this way. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, a very succinct understanding of what the gospel of Jesus Christ. Note the first words here. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. This is the message. These are the key. This is the keys. And the church is the steward of and proclaimer of this message. We steward and we proclaim the good news, the gospel. We have the keys. Why would Jesus give us the keys? Okay, it feels like, it'd be kind of like if you went to a new car showroom this afternoon and you went and you spent $250,000 on a brand new Maserati. Okay, those of you who don't know what a Maserati, I'm sorry. It's an awesome car. Okay, and you were to drive it home and then you were to walk into the house and your six-year-old was on the couch and you threw the keys to the six-year-old and said, hey, just why don't you take the Maserati out for a spin? Like, who would do that? This it kind, of feel, it kind of feels like that to me. When, as Jesus is, is it's, it's like he's saying, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to let you steward and proclaim this gospel message that either brings people in or keeps them out. However they respond to that message is either they're going to be in or they're out. But you get to steward that. You get to keep that. You're, you're in charge of the keys. It kind of feel, I kind of feel like the six-year-old that just had the keys tossed them to this beautiful model. I mean, it's the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And yet that's exactly, that's exactly, exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's asking, he's saying to his disciples, he's saying to us, the church of Jesus Christ, his disciples, the followers of Jesus, that we are called to steward and proclaim this message because, because he wants us to be part of this process of him building the church. He builds the church through faith, through endurance, and through this message. The message that you and I steward this has an amazing, it, has an ama- it, it places an amazing responsibility and opportunity on every single person here this morning who calls himself a follower of Jesus Christ. We have been placed with this awesome responsibility and opportunity to share the gospel, to, share, to show people the key. 
to getting into heaven. Now, I have no, we have no idea how people can respond. We already know that that's a work of the Spirit himself. That the Spirit has to move that person to the point where they can believe in faith. Our responsibility is to proclaim. So I ask you this, this question. When's the last time you have actually told somebody that this is who Jesus is and what he has done? When's the last time we've done that? We, you hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' wisdom, he's given that to you to share with somebody else, to give them the opportunity to respond as to whether they would enter or not. Such an awesome opportunity, such an awesome responsibility. And then he's also called us together to do that as well. You know, we're you know, uh, Pastor Ray asked me to come and talk about strategic church planting, and I haven't talked a lot about strategic church planting, but I have talked about how Jesus builds his church. And it's, it's so true that not only do we bear the responsibility individually, but we have this opportunity to together, together to impact towns and cities, maybe even provinces, Lord willing, maybe even countries themselves, with this true message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we together plant churches in places where there are not strong gospel witnesses, churches that affirm these kinds of things that we have on, our, on the sides, on these banners that are bearing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. That, that's, that's an awesome, a wonderful opportunity. It's why we plant churches, because great commission churches are gospel-centered, and that's what is needed in towns and cities in our country and around the world. And so part of your budget every year, just like our budget every year, is we set aside money every year for church planting so we can find opportunities to partner with others to plant churches in our country here in Canada and also other countries around the world. We were just at a conference last week where we had 23 different international churches that were part of our, of our broader movement, the Great Commission Collective, from different countries around the world, from Nepal and from India and from Romania, and uh, there was, Japan was there, and there were like so many different places around the world where we're in partnership, where we get to support and partner and encourage those people, and brothers and sisters in other parts of the of our country, whether it's in, or in North America, whether it's in Florida, or whether it's in British Columbia, or wherever it might be, we have this opportunity to partner together. Why? Why do we do this? Because Jesus said he was going to build his church. How does he build his church? Through his message. And he's given us the keys. Right? You might say, Lord, I have a better idea. And he would say, no, 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 this is the best idea. I will build my church. This is how I do it. I do it through faith in who I am and who Jesus is, through a church that endures, that keeps going, that knows it is prevailing because Jesus is building its church, and also because it is stewarding and proclaiming the message that he has left us. It's the keys. That's the keys. That's what we're all about. That's what we're all about. So Jesus is building his church, and he will build 
this church. He's going to build this church, Hope Ottawa, through confession of faith, through endurance, and through his message. Do you believe that? And Jesus is building his church, and he wants to work through you, Hope Ottawa, to see his church built in Canada and also around the world, and he's going to do it exactly the same way, through confession of faith, through helping other churches prevail, and through stewarding and proclaiming the message. Let's pray together. Spirit, I want to ask that you would um, remind us again of this, just this awesome, awesome privilege we have to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. This, and this church here in Ottawa is just one little piece of the larger church around the world where people are proclaiming the truth, placing their faith in who Jesus is and the work that he has, he has done there are, that are prevailing, that even in the hard times and the good times, there's a prevailing because we know that Jesus is building the church and we know that, that Jesus is building the church because he's given us this message to steward and proclaim. Father, I just, I pray for us. I pray for those today that need to be reminded again of their role individually in that that we are called to share our faith with others, to call others to make a decision about who Jesus is and what he has done. Father, pray that you would help us, give us the boldness that we need in that, that we would believe that to be true. Help us to act on that. And I pray for this church as it moves forward, that it would look beyond itself. Father, you would give them, um, you would give them a horizon that is much larger than themselves, that they would be able to see the kingdom of heaven and know that they are called to partner with others to see others established, other churches developed, other churches built and grown in Jesus' name. We ask these things because we serve the one who makes all the difference in the world, Jesus Christ. We give him praise. Amen.